Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Kylie Camps, and welcome to the podcast. This space is dedicated entirely to making a difference in the lives of women. I believe we all have a right and a responsibility to truly live our best lives. It all begins with curiosity, changing our thinking, and cultivating more self love. Through thoughtful conversations and shared experiences, I really hope that you can take something away from this podcast. I'm a business owner, a speaker, a sleep consultant, and mum of twin boys. I've also recently completed some training in the cognitive behavioral therapy space, and I'm super, super passionate about the ability that we all have to really improve our days. And ultimately, when we take ownership of improving our days, we're really improving our whole life. So let's get stuck into today's episode. Welcome to today's podcast. This podcast is part one in conversation with the beautiful Yvette, who is the founder and owner of three super popular and super successful brands that you will no doubt recognize. She owns Esme Skin Minerals, Pony Cosmetics, and her newest baby, Lip Heroes. I've decided to split my conversation with Yvette into two separate episodes, purely because she was so, so generous with her time, her knowledge and her experience. I'm confident that there are going to be so many powerful takeaways from this chat that I thought it was best to split it into two episodes so you can really focus on what it is that she's saying and enjoy this chat in two different installments. In this episode, in part one, we focus on what it was like for Yvette to build her first brand from the ground up, from having an idea and actually bringing it to fruition, and the hard work, hustle, order quantities, challenges, and everything else that went along with that. I really hope that you enjoy getting to know Yvette a little bit more. Stay tuned for part two. In part two, we really unpack her other two companies and we get to know her even more. It's so fun to speak with Yvette. She's so inspiring and I think you're going to take a lot away from these two episodes. As always, it would mean the absolute world to me if you do take a screenshot right now of this episode, pop it up on your own Instagram stories and please tag me at Kylie Camps and you can also tag Yvette's amazing brands, which as I mentioned include Esme Skin Minerals, Pony Cosmetics and of course Lip Heroes. Enjoy. Yvette, thank you so much for making time in your day to have this conversation with me. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks, Kylie. Thanks for having me. It's, um, It's always nice to talk to you. Oh, thank you. So before we get stuck into all of the really good stuff, I'd love to know how are you going both personally but also professionally with all of the changes that have been happening lately with COVID and the school restrictions and the business restrictions and everything like that? 
Well, I guess I'm lucky in a personal sense because my kids are both quite small still. Um, so Max is only two and a half and Isabel's, you know, only in year two at the moment. So I think if they were in high school or, uh, you know, year 12, it would probably be a different story to, you know, some challenges that people are facing. Um, at first, when this all started going down, I feel like we freaked out a little bit, but um I think it was important then to kind of just regroup, calm down, hold your nerve and just plan for, you know, for the best, but then also the worst as well. Um, other than that, I mean, the challenges that we've had, obviously, is people pretty all of a sudden having to work from home. So uh, all of our staff working from home. And then we've had a big influx of, um, you know, obviously people online. So we've had a lot more people engaging with us um, as well, which has been absolutely amazing. Um, it's just been managing and making sure the team is um, feeling supported as much as possible, just in this kind of environment that we're in at the moment. So it was a very unsure time and I think everyone was a little bit um, like a little bit scared uh, across all industries and yeah, so much uncertainty yeah and just hearing stories you know of companies that had been around for a really long time all of a sudden having to shut their doors or um, fire staff was just heartbreaking and I was genuinely heartbroken for a lot of um, the stories that I heard and I'm just so lucky and so grateful um, and we feel extremely grateful uh, that we have been able to get through it. Yeah and I do I definitely feel like we're coming through it now we're kind of at the tail end I hope of, of the worst and now it's more a case yeah. of just rebuilding. Yeah and I think um, people just don't know what they're capable of you just don't know your potential until you're faced with no choices or no options. Um, and I think that after this is all over, everyone is going to realise they had a little part of them they didn't know existed before. And uh, we're all going to be a little bit resilient, more resilient, a little bit more tough um, and a little bit more grateful for the little things that we normally take for granted. Absolutely. Like even just the parks and things like that, I was thinking I can't wait until all the signs are off those and the kids can just go on play normally yeah. on playgrounds it's the little things that I yeah. think you're right that you you just take for granted so yeah it's really nice to hear that you've been doing well though amongst all of this and I've been so looking forward to having this chat with you I know we've been speaking about it for a little while and the reason I'm so looking forward to it is because you have so many moving parts going on in your life and I'm just in awe of all that oh, you do and I've had, I've had the good fortune to spend time with you and you just, you always carry yourself so well. So I'm very, oh, very excited you. to explore this with you. Now, before we chat about all of your projects that are on the go at the minute, I'd love to take it back to before you lived here in Australia. So you are originally from South Africa. What was mm -hmm. it like growing up there? Um, I mean, I feel like it was just a normal childhood, really, you know, normal memories with family and 
stuff like that. It wasn't really that much different to Australia in the sense where, you know, we live in houses and stuff like that. I know that when I just moved to Australia uh, when I was 18, uh, some of the people I worked with um, in hospitality were like, so do you have like lions in your backyard? (laughs) And I was like, no, we like live in like proper houses and we don't live in like huts or anything like that. Um, you know, the weather is very similar as well to Australia, which which definitely helps that adjustment side of things. Um, obviously, there's, you know, more crime and things like that. But I think when you grow up with, with that around you and you sort of just used to taking normal precautions, um, it, it doesn't really seem that different. But in Australia, when we first moved here, uh, it was just fascinating how people would leave their front doors unlocked. Um, they would just leave their handbag on their car seat. Um, I remember when we came for a holiday in 2000 when my parents were originally scoping out, you know, which city we were going to move to, uh, seeing people walking on the Brisbane River and just being fascinated that people were walking yeah. after dark. Um, you know, riding without, by. without concern for their safety. Yeah, yeah, without yeah. concern for their safety. So, I mean, I wholeheartedly identify as an Australian now, and uh, I absolutely adore this country and its people. So, um, you know, I'm just so grateful for the opportunities that it's afforded me. So, um, yeah, love living in Australia now. Mm. And you're one of—is it four girls or one of three girls? One of four. Yeah, one yeah. of four. Wow, so that would have been a very busy household because I'm one of three girls and I know that all of our periods, we all synced up. Did you have like <laughs> madness in your house with five Actually, women? Actually, surprisingly not because my parents were very strict and my dad always said um, that we were not allowed to hit each other and we were not allowed to be disrespectful with each other. And um, the only woman he ever needed to make sure was happy was my mum. And uh, we just all had to deal with our own issues, you know, quietly and privately with each other. If so, if you know, if you're fighting with your sister, you might have to pinch her under the table instead of you know, punching <laughs> her on the clever. arm. Yeah, you know, in public. So, um, but yeah, we all we we all grew up fairly close, um, and we would have sleepovers in each other's bedrooms and stuff like that. We would have dinner as a family every night as well around the same you know, dinner table. And I think um, that definitely came from just my parents and what they wanted for their family um, was that togetherness. And um, so we weren't really allowed to be too nasty to each other, which I guess is a good thing. Absolutely. And whereabouts do you sit in the pecking order? Are you one of the eldest? Are you one of the babies? Well, I was the baby for uh, seven years and then my little sister came along. Okay. Got so it. I've got two, two older sisters, one younger. So cool. And what were you like as a child? Like, did you have it? Would you say that you had an entrepreneurial streak? I do. Yes, definitely. So I, um, I had a best friend that I grew up with. Um, she was my next door neighbor, and we would do dances and workout dances, and then put posters up on um, the street lights. Uh, that's the best you know, to, to say that we've got a dance and it's two rand or two big like, show <laughs> yeah it's like two rand entry and um you know only our parents would come but they would have to pay um and then we would try and her her father was a professional runner and he had a lot of uh promotional t-shirts and things from nike and adidas and stuff like that and we would try and sell them next to the street 
and then I did beading as well. I loved beading um, and I would go to like the markets when I was like 10, 12 years old. Um, and my parents were always really supportive of all my little entrepreneurial streaks and they would get into it. And my mum was my best customer as well. So she was pretty much the only one that ever bought my beads. But, you know, um, it's definitely I, encouraging. I was just going to say I've met your mum as well at an event and I would say she's like still your best customer or biggest fan she's so beautiful she is she's 100% um, my best uh, customer and also my number one fan yeah you can tell that it's beautiful to see and so what were you like in high school did you kind of fly under the radar there or would you would you say that you had a big personality in high school no I wouldn't say I had a big personality I was um I was always a little bit more mature, I think, for my age. Um, I having, having older sisters will do that too. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. And um, I was sporty, so um, I, you know, played netball and did athletics and things like that. Um, student council, and you know, which was really lovely that people um, believed in me to like vote me in and stuff like that for things like that. Um, not really loud or anything like that. Um, just normal. Um, I had like a couple of uh, close friends. Um, I've always kind of been like that where I've had a couple of really close friends and then, um, you know, a few kind of friends after that as well. Um, yeah, just sort of minded my own business most of the time. Yeah. And you mentioned then that you moved to Australia and that would have been, um, I think it was when I was reading through your show notes around 16 years ago. Does that sound about right for you? Yeah, yeah. That you moved to Australia. And how did you find settling in other than getting your head around the whole, you know, freedom to walk around at night? Yeah. <laughs> how, did, how did you find settling in here? Um, at first it was a bit tricky because um, English was not my first language um, and it was only something that I would have at school for one subject a day. Um, it was my second language though, um, so that was a little bit hard and then also dealing with the Australian accent was a little bit difficult and then um, vice versa, my accent was very thick and uh, people would struggle to understand me and I think because I was at, at that age where we, everyone had sort of left school and, um, you know, they all kind of had their crew that they were hanging out with um it was a little it took me a little while to make some close friends uh, which I struggled with a little bit um because I came over by myself um and my dad moved us over in little parts so um I came oh, first because wow. I finished school and then he would go between the countries setting up his business here and closing his business in South Africa um, my sisters were in university they were doing their last year in South Africa and my little sister was with my mum and my mum was in South Africa pretty much wrapping everything up so I was here by myself but I found um, a couple of people that are now to this day still my best friends um, you know eventually once I got over the shock of you know the English and the uh, not knowing a soul and things like that and kind of having to I'm a shy person anyway um, and having to and kind of put yourself out there barrier. yeah I can yeah. imagine yeah but now it's all good <laughs> absolutely and so when you were settling in in those years between I guess arriving in Australia and then um, beginning your first business well I'm assuming it's your first business I'm not sure you'll be able to tell me but what did you end up doing for work when you arrived in Australia? So I did waitressing in South Africa 
Um, and when I moved here, I got a waitressing job um, at the Boardwalk Tavern, which was just minutes from my house. And that's where I sort of met so many of my friends that I have now. And kind of everyone was at university and they, we were just having fun and it was we were young and free and, you know, all that great stuff. So it's some of the best times in my life um, when I first moved here. That's so cool. It's so nice that they're still that you've made such strong connections and they're still involved in your life. I think that's yes. really, really special. Yes. And so fill in some of the gaps for me there, Yvette, from arriving and being a waitress to actually having the idea that you wanted to start Pony Cosmetics. What happened in those years between? Well, when I moved to Australia, um, I did beauty therapy. Um, so I did my beauty therapy course and then I got my first job just before I had completed my course. Um, at Alabache. And uh, when I was uh, working there, you know, you sort of get to know the things you're good at and the things that people book you in for and things. And I started getting quite um, good at eyebrows. Um, and I just loved doing them because I loved how you could make a difference on someone's face. And they just, you know, the way that the women would respond in return was kind of what gave me the biggest kick as well. Um, but we were going, coming out of that period where everyone was kind of over plucking, over tweezing their eyebrows. So there was a lot of regrowing, a lot of brow rehab, as they called it, um, you know, going on. So, um, one of the kind of issues that my customers and me were having was uh, once they had gone home and we were in this growing process, uh, they, you know, wouldn't be coming in again for another month. Um, so once the tint had kind of worn off and once the pencil had gone, um, there was nothing that they didn't quite know the shape that they needed to have for their face. So I thought, gosh, wouldn't it just be wonderful to have a uh, brow kit that they could take home with a stencil and, you know, they can use the stencil and they can color it in every day. Um, and then Anastasia Beverly Hills actually brought out her stencil kit and I was like, no, that was, that my, was idea. my idea. <laughs> yeah. um, and then uh, I think uh, just finally, um, it was years of thinking about it, to be honest, um, and not doing anything about it. How, uh, how many years ago was this event, roughly, that you uh, sort of started to first have that? 2007. So yeah, it's a good, good five years of thinking now, about it. Because I was going to say like now in 2020, eyebrows are so important like it's just yes. the dumb thing like we all do our brows but back then like you said I can remember I had such thin plucked brows like brows just weren't nearly as important so you must have been really ahead of your time and which makes sense obviously because that's where you were spending your actual time on crafting beautiful brows yep. but it's amazing that that idea dropped in for you well, I was, I can't take all the credit because I was taught by an amazing uh, brow girl who was kind of the brow guru before she moved back to Melbourne. So I can't take all the credit for that skill. I feel like uh, at beauty school, brows are like the smallest little part of your class. Like it's like half a day and you're, you're done. So um, having that extra training uh, really kind of opened my eyes in a lot of different ways. Um you know, in training others to also be able to do this for their customers and then also giving them the tools to give their customers so the customer can achieve the same when they go home. Mm. So, yeah. And so you sort of ruminated on the idea of thinking, okay, it would be really cool if our clients had something that they could use at home to do like a bit of a mini brow makeover. Is that right? 
Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, they would get a bit sad. It's like a happy sad when they saw their beautiful eyebrows and then they would ask you the question, okay, well, how am I going to do this at home? Or can you just come home with me? Or can you just come to my brows every day? Um, you know, they're kind of the most common things people would say after. Yeah, right. So you had the idea to create a bit of a kit or some product. So what was the actual first product that you wanted to create? It was the eyebrow kit. Okay. So I went in a powder and a brush with a highlighter and a stencil. Um, and that was kind of the goal. Um, no, no idea where to start. Um, and I think that finally came for me when Isabel was exactly six months old. I remember um, like yesterday I rolled over to Josh and I said, I'm going to do that brow kit I've been talking about for five years. Mm. And he said, okay, sounds good. And then he basically also helped me to find, you know, basically where to begin. Isn't it funny, Yvette? I think that there's something so special about becoming a mum that makes you feel accountable. All of mm. a sudden it's like you realise, oh, like this is life. It's not a dress rehearsal. I'm accountable. <laughs> yes. I'm going to do this. Yes, exactly. I think I think I always tell this to people that are pregnant. Um, something changes in you when you become a parent. Mm. Um, and I mean, because I was having a daughter as well, it was extremely important for me to, to show her that, you know, she has a strong mum and that she can also be a strong woman, uh, as well. So I think yeah. that's all kind of, you know, started it all. I know for myself, even having the boys, it really put a rocket up me in terms of, mm. oh, okay, accountability. And there's people looking at me and I am a role model. And so <laughs> I think it's quite common that women, particularly with young babies, all of a sudden decide to take that bold, inspired action that they've been thinking about taking, which yes. on paper kind of doesn't make sense because it's like the busiest yeah. time, most emotional time of your life. But that is women. That's what we yes. do. We take yes. on a lot. That's and it. so... In terms of actually creating it, I would love to know because I mentioned the strength of your brand messaging in the introduction that I've recorded and I really want to talk about all of the brands that you have, but specifically with Pony being the first, did you have like a clear vision of the brand that you wanted to create, like a clear mission statement with that? You know, did you have the name and the colors and the brand ethos chosen or was it like, okay, I'm going to create the product first and then work on the brand? It's kind of a bit of a what came first, chicken yeah. or the egg question. Yeah, I think it can go lots of different ways. It can start with a product. It can start with a name. It can start with the brand. It can start with something that you want to do in people's lives and then, you know, everything else kind of comes after that. So I think um, for me, most of the time, how the brands all came to fruition is just seeing a need and then acting on filling the need for the customer um, in the end of the day. Uh, with Pony, uh, I didn't have a clear, um, I did have a clear brand message, but, you know, we have this thing as well, this section of, you know, in your business planning where you go, what will we do? What won't we do? What will we make? What won't we make? Um, you know, we won't make anything that's, you know, we're not going to start making electrical goods, for example, under the Pony brand. Um, I knew that the Pony brand needed to be a niche brand. We weren't going to do color lipsticks and liners and eyeshadows. And, you know, if we were going to do something, we're going to do 
for purpose, not just to have another mascara or another eyebrow pencil or another, um, you know, lip balm. It had to somehow be different to the everyday things that you see. Uh, with name, a lot of times when we were doing the trademarking, um, which is another thing, it's very important, before you get attached to a name of a brand, make sure that you can trademark it and make sure it's not already taken. <laughs> That's definitely very important. So um, important. Yeah, because you can sometimes really get attached to a name and then you find that actually, no, someone else has it. Um, yeah, so definitely making sure that you can get your names and you're not going to upset any other brands. Um, but I knew that I wanted something that people could remember. Um, and even our trademarking lawyer said, why don't you just do your name? And I said, oh, it's just, it's going to be really difficult for people to remember. You know, it's, I have to constantly spell it. Um, you know, it's going to be to that, people that know you. <laughs> yeah. You know, even to people that, yeah, know you. And uh, it'll be that brand that people go, oh, you know, that brand, um, I think it starts with an E. Um, what is it again? So I wanted to create a name that kind of created a picture in people's minds when you said it and was easy to remember. So um, Pony was uh, such a wonderful little discovery for me because I love horses and I've always loved horses. Um, and then obviously it creates an image of a small pony in your head when you uh, say it so it does and it's such a I think too because you spell it p-o-n-i and just the branding everything works so well together that it's such a clear message that this is a strong brand it's niche like you said it's quality it's fun it's flirty like it's your messaging is always really on point thank you my pleasure and so how long did it take you to really nail that first product the kit I actually never did. <laughs> I um, I actually discontinued it last year <laughs> after about the fourth revision. Um, I just don't know. I just couldn't get it perfect um, and it was just becoming annoying and I felt like uh, the product started to stand on their own a little bit better than uh, the kit itself. Um, so we just ended up pulling out you know the brow powder which has again uh you know we we're always changing our products to be better than the one be one before um which has changed several times the brow brush design has changed a couple of times the highlighter has changed three times now so um the the stencils is the only thing that we had quite a few goes at and then eventually decided to to discontinue them because you know, the performance of the products standing alone was a lot better than the um, the stencils. And so that's so interesting about reiterating it and it's so important to let things go when you know that, you know, they've run their course. But was the kit the first product that you launched Pony with? So the, uh, the kit took a little while to get together because there's so many components in the kit. The first product we brought out was the Brow Magic. Um, so that was the thing that we kind of managed to get out first, you know. Um, and Which is and iconic. The Brow it, Magic pen is so iconic. Thank you. Yeah, it's, a, it's a, such an awesome product. And it's one of those things that when you start using it, you're like, I don't think I can use anything else. I can it only use this now. <laughs> and so when you had Brown Magic, was it a case of, okay, we're going to sell this online or was it you going, I've got this product and I'm going to go and knock on salon doors and see if they'll stock it? Uh, so at the time I was working at a clinic. Um, so I was still very much in the salon arena. Um, online, I don't think had taken off as much as 
as it is now. Um, that was definitely always a goal is to have the website. And so the website was ready when the brand launched. Um, so I was very, very fortunate that um, the clinic Envisage that I worked at uh, took the Brow Magic straight away. They pretty much took it before the boxes even arrived. Um, and actually our customer service uh, manager, Georgia, she was the first person to buy she wanted to be the first person to buy the first Brow Magic and she works with me now. So, um, wow. you know, that's just such a great story. She was my manager at Envisage at the time, uh, like 10, you know, uh, we've known each other for more than 10 years now. Um, and we've kind of just always followed each other wherever we worked. Um, and yeah, she was the first one to buy the first Brow Magic. And then after that, it was a bit of beating down some doors um, because you're a new kid on the block uh, you know, people tend to want to make sure that you're legit before they invest in you, mm-hmm. uh, you know, emotionally as well as, um, you know, financially. They want to see, like, are you going to hang around? Are you here for good? Or are you just, is this just a hobby that is now, uh, that you are now doing and a few months from now you'll be gone? So it did take a little bit of, um, you know, hard work uh, and then, uh, once I think a few people took it on board, it was a lot easier to then get more people on board. Um, and then we also did the Beauty Expo uh, that first year, uh, which is a beauty industry event in Sydney. Uh, we pretty much invested all of our money that was left into the stand um, and getting it there and we built it all ourselves and uh, acted like we were probably bigger than what we were, but it worked. So we got, I think, about 50 salons at that event and that kind of really kicked it off for us. Wow, that's so cool. And earlier you mentioned that you would describe yourself as kind of a bit of a shy person. Did you struggle at all with walking into salons or being at the stand and really representing and standing behind your brand? Was that at all tricky for you? No, not really. Um, I think when I talk about what I know, uh, it is a lot easier for me. Uh, I'm really out of my comfort zone if uh, I'm on a stage or if you're at a microphone. I, I freak out. So I just, you know, you've seen me in action before freaking out. You're actually amazing <laughs> when you speak. But yes, I know that it but can definitely be so boring. frightening. <laughs> It's so frightening and I just take my hat off to you at your events because you're just such a beautiful speaker that I'm just I'm just like tell me how how to do it um not that I want to get into the into a habit of speaking publicly but you know I think when it's your brand and when it's your baby and when you really know it inside out it kind of just it comes naturally um mm. to talk about it and to to love it and to um try and get other people to believe in it as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure that that Beauty Expo would have been a massive investment because I know how expensive those sorts of stands are. Mm -hmm. So just to really back yourself, when you first had Brow Magic, do you remember like the quantities that you ordered it in? Yeah. So the uh, company that we used uh, was making, um, they were quite innovative, which is what we love um, because I don't like making things that are already in existence. I want to change it. I want it to fill a specific purpose or several purposes. Um, the minimum order for us was 5,000, um, wow. which doesn't sound like a lot, 
but at the time it was uh, a lot for us. <laughs> I think it. I think it certainly. I think it sounds like a lot when you're starting a business, and I. I really am grateful for you sharing that because I think that'll be helpful for listeners to get a bit of a scope of, you know, backing yourself. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's a lot of uh, the minimum order for that is really such a small component of setting up a business. You know, it's uh, boxes, it's getting it here, it's packaging it, uh, it's it's shipping, it's um, wrapping it, it's posting it. It's like there's so many elements to uh, starting a business, um, and yeah, sometimes it can be a little bit uh, hard because obviously you have to pay for everything as well before it gets here. Um, And sometimes there's like a transit period of a few weeks to, uh, you know, sometimes a couple of months where your money is sitting on in a box on a ship. Um, So being able to still maintain your business while that is kind of tied up is um, also a challenge in itself. Yeah, I can imagine. And so you mentioned the fact that your first sale of the product was to Georgia, who works for you now. Mm-hmm. At what point did you realise you needed to onboard a staff member and what was the first role that you had to fill? Uh, so Josh actually probably was the first unofficial employee. He was working away at the time. He was working one week on and one week off. And in that off week, he would basically come and work in the warehouse. Um, I think once we reached a certain amount of salons, uh, we decided to bring on a wholesale rep. Uh, Her name is Tiffany, and she's still one of my absolute bestest friends. Um, At that first beauty expo that we did, Uh, we called on some of our close friends um, to help us at the stand and we couldn't pay them. Um, We could only pay for their FS and we just rented a house um, and they are now just, I will never ever forget that because they were. So special, rallying the troops. uh, They were just, I think we were a little bit traumatised after the weekend because our stand was so busy that you didn't have a moment to even go to the toilet. Um, and Josh was trying to give us food. He bought salads and we we're like, Josh, don't buy salads, buy sandwiches, buy lollies, <laughs> buy things yep. you can just stuff into your mouth and keep working. Um, you know, it was just something that brought us together, I think, and just bonded us forever. Um, so oh, Tiff was actually one of those. Bug. It really was. It was a really beautiful time. And Tiff was one of those people that um, just showed such, and still to this day, still shows such a passion for all of the brands. Um, and she was our first wholesale rep um, and she was wonderful at it. And she was an absolute, um, absolute charm. And uh, then Georgia actually was just after that in customer service. Wow. That's so cool about having your friends there just to support you and roll up the sleeves and get it done. And there's definitely just something so special about the people closest to you believing in you and being there as sort of, you know, your scaffolding and your network. I think that's so special. Yes, yes, it is. It's very special. And I was trying to think back before we started speaking today and I was trying to think back to before the boys were born, you know, like six, seven years ago. And I feel like it was relatively new for brands to begin using social media as a voice to speak directly to customers. Did you have any scope at that stage on how instrumental social media would end up being for your brand? 
Uh, I didn't. No, I didn't realize. Um, I think just as we started doing a bit more on social media, we started realizing, hang on, like this is pretty powerful. Um, and I mean, it's instant. It's an instant touch point for anyone around the world. Uh, you know, whereas in the past, people had to put, you know, TV ads, they had to film it, they had to pay, you know, to film it time for production, time for editing and stuff like that. And then the TV ad would come out eventually and run for a little while. Uh, whereas now with social media, it was just instantly on their feed and it was before all of the, you know, um, different bits and pieces that people were upset about a few years ago came in. Um, but yeah, I think with the brand, my age as well at the time, uh, it was just fun to do it. Uh, yeah. And that was kind of more where we were coming from. It was just a fun place to put cool content and everyone was getting onto it. And um, it was enjoyable to create for that platform. Yeah, definitely. And speaking of branding, we touched on this a little bit earlier about how you have very clear parameters surrounding what Pony stands for and won't stand for in terms of product creation and things like that. But when you're in the... In a, like when you're in the first creative stages of working on a brand, how do you personally like to build your brand of it? Do you like to use like a physical storyboard or do you prefer more of a digital board? Do you work with a brand manager? Like how do you actually bring in everything that you want your brand to stand for, all of the aesthetics and everything like that? I've done a mix of the two. Um, I've helped people with branding and then I've also done um, obviously our brands as well. I think with Pony, I wanted a name first of all that uh, was easy to remember and that was cute and fun and all of those things and I didn't know what it was. Um, and I wasn't even sure yet what products were going to be in our range. I knew I wanted brow products. Um, so with Esme, for example, I knew that it was going to be vegan. I wanted it to be vegan. I wanted it to be mineral. I wanted it to be cruelty-free. I wanted it, I think it sometimes represents who I am at the time in my life as well a little bit. Um, I wanted it to have that really clean feeling, um, you know, and then you start thinking about colors, you know, what color would you say makes you feel fresh and clean and, you know, blue immediately, you know, it was either blue or like an emerald green, but, you know, it's like the blue color and then you sort of just build on that. Like, you know, it's, it's natural, like not that it's natural, the product's not natural, but like it's got that natural feeling Super about it. organic progression. Of yeah. It's like, you got the feel there. Yeah. It's like earth, like, um, you know, so that's kind of, that was built digitally with lip heroes. Um, I think what I, I'm trying to remember how I started. I know that one was a physical mood board. I really love pop art. I love the idea of, creating a character um which lip heroes is still in the process of coming out um at the moment and i wanted to create a character that resembled a normal woman you know a ceo a mother a baker uh, a writer an artist um, and when she puts her lip product on she becomes a superhero yeah. so i wanted to create a brand that kind of in, um embodies that and yeah, I think embodies that it, and it lifts lifts women lifts women up and I think that it does and I think that that concept is so true because you know for women when we do like we all have that one kind of power move you know like you have that 
black dress or that blazer or that lip color that makes you feel like, yep, I've got this. I'm putting on Mm -hmm. my little bit of armor. I'm ready to face whatever the day throws at me. And I think Lip Heroes really does speak to that. And I can't wait to hear a little bit more about Esme and Lip Heroes. What I'm going to do with it is I'm going to slice this interview into two parts. So part two will be coming up shortly and we're going to delve into Esme lip heroes and get to know of it a little bit more hold up What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 